Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw family. How are we doing today? Uh, I, I probably don't say this enough, but I really do count it a privilege to be your pastor. I care about, I love you all so, so much. Uh, it is incredibly humbling uh, that God allows me to stand up here week after week after week to run my mouth for about 30 minutes at a time and, and communicate these teachings from the very life of Jesus. Uh, it's sort of mind-boggling when I slow down enough and consider that this is actually my job. Uh, I also just want to say thank you to this church. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you specifically for your generosity. Uh, finances, even in the midst of a global pandemic, have never really been a concern around here because of the obedience of this faith community. And, and I'm telling you, that is a rarity among new churches. So, so many of you, you have allowed us to live open-handed as a church. You've allowed us to approach this community with the question of, hey, what can Grumlaw do for you as opposed to what can you do for Grumlaw? That, that, that's unfortunately right here how a lot of people view churches, taking and receiving from people rather than giving to the community that they have the privilege of being in. Uh, we as a church, we've made it a, a priority to be known for our generosity right here in this community because frankly, uh, we never look more like Jesus than when we're being generous. Generosity, it grabs people's attention. It demands a closer look. It breaks down walls. It stands in such stark contrast to a world that screams, hey, you do you. And because so many of you have caught on to this vision, and again, you continue to respond in obedience to such a clear imperative laid down by Jesus himself. When opportunities and needs come our way, the default position of this church is just to say, yeah, how can we help? Now, we talk about things like sponsoring border stations and helping to start more churches all the time. In fact, 11% of every dollar given around here goes to starting more churches, initiatives that admittedly eat up a significant portion of our budget. But what we don't mention as often are all of like the smaller requests that we get literally on a weekly basis. Help paying somebody's rent, paying a utility bill so the lights literally don't get turned off, get groceries for a single mother and her kids, paying a funeral home balance so that they don't get sent to collections. Those aren't hypotheticals, by the way. Those are real requests that we, that actually you say yes to all the time. That, that when you give here, you're allowing us to lean in and ask, hey, what can Grumlaw do for you? In fact, it was just a couple of months ago, actually, that we got word that a pastor friend up in Canada, up in Ontario, uh, had unexpectedly lost their daughter. Uh, it was a lot of different health complications, but spurned on certainly by COVID. In a matter of 48 hours, she went to be with Jesus. Now, obviously, we were grieving with this couple. We were praying for them. But very practically speaking, I just picked up the phone and called a dear friend of this couple and just said, hey, are, are they doing okay financially? Because I know they weren't necessarily prepared for this to happen so quickly. And he said, actually, no, they're not. That's definitely causing some stress in their life. And in fact, this friend is a pastor of a church. And he's like, we were actually just talking about that we might lean, lean in and try to pay for some of those funeral expenses. 
And I said, okay, well, how much is your church willing to do? And he gave me a number, and I said, well, how far short is that? He's like, oh, I was actually going to call a bunch of other churches and see if we could maybe pool some resources together. He gave me that figure, and I was like, don't call any other churches. Grumlaw will cover the rest. And, And you know what's really, really great about that? There was seriously zero hesitation And that doesn't happen without so many of you. And so if you call Grumlaw your church home, I'm just telling you, this is one of the most significant ways that we get to partner with God in what he is up to in this world. And so if you're new around here, just want to make this very clear, there is no pressure to give whatsoever. But if you call Grumlaw your church home, again, one of the ways that we get to partner with God and what he's up to in the world. Uh, and there's just a couple of different ways that you can give. You can go to grumlaw.com give. Uh, or you can text the word Grumlaw to 94,000 and follow those prompts. And again, thank you for being such a generous church. Uh, this is genuinely one of my favorite parts of my supposed job. Now, on to what I'm supposed to be talking about today. Uh, today we are entering into part nine of a 10-part series titled Follow. Uh, yeah, you heard that right, part nine of 10, which means that if you're new around here, it's like you turned on the sixth sense right about the time that the little fella says, I see dead people. Again, nothing like bringing in movies here that are like 23 years old. But have no fear. You can always catch yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages. Uh, or you can find us in a Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab those podcasts. But really quick, just so you're not maybe stumbling around in the dark, here's the basic premise of this series. Uh, believing is easy. We've been saying it this way. It's just not that hard to believe in a guy that successfully predicted his own death and his own resurrection. Like Jesus actually pulled that off. God made the avenue by which we get that right standing back with him incredibly simple, almost incomprehensibly simple. It just comes down to belief, faith, trust, synonymous terms, belief in Jesus and belief in Jesus alone. Not belief plus these steps, not belief plus you have to know these people, it's just belief, that's it. But, but as Jesus reminds us over and over and over again during his time on earth, following it is hard. It's a war waged against what comes natural to every single one of us. As scripture often frames it, it's a war against the flesh, that which will ultimately spell our ruin. It's a commitment to leverage our entire lives, not for our earthly kingdoms, but for God's eternal kingdom. It's handing Jesus the keys to your life and saying, okay, Jesus, wherever you want to take me, I will go. I'm not drawing any lines anywhere. Nothing is off limits, which let's be honest, that sounds nice on a Sunday morning. It sounds nice in a worship song, but in real life, it's a bit more difficult to actually live out. But Jesus also promises, I am worth it. That for those who leverage their lives for Jesus during this temporary stay on this earth, they will all undeniably declare that Jesus was worth it, that Jesus is worth it. See, Jesus isn't just inviting us into something that's different. It's undeniably better, not only for you, but for all of the yous around you. So so very practically speaking, what we've been doing in this series is comparing and contrasting the way of this world, the way of our flesh versus the way of Jesus. Exploring topics like discipline over comfort, endurance over defeat, service over self, peace over division. And and today we're going to be speaking to confession over concealment. Now, I'm going to let you all in on a little bit of a secret this morning. 
we picked this topic on this day, on, on Father's Day, happy Father's Day, by the way, on purpose. It, it's not an accident. Now, 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 why would we do that? Don't, don't you love it, by the way, when the speaker, the preacher, kind of answers his own hypothetical questions? I'm, I'm my own biggest fan here. Uh, my life experience has shown me, and, and I gotta think I'll find some agreement on this one, that, that men, fathers in particular, tend to excel the least in this area. That's like the politest way I could put it. For, for whatever reason, we don't have time to get into all the theories about why this is the case, men just tend to have a harder time opening up, admitting, confessing than women do. Anyone else ever kind of picked up on this? Uh, my wife, for instance, she has led women's groups at this church basically from day one from when we started the church, and it seems like it follows the exact same routine, the same pattern every single time. It'll be the first night of that particular semester when that women's group kicks off, and she'll come home, and she's excited, and she'll just kind of casually share how well it went. And she'll speak to the fact that the women, literally from night number one, were just very, very vulnerable, willing to just kind of open up about their lives. She's not spilling like all of the details. She's just speaking to the fact that they were vulnerable. And I'm sitting there wondering to myself, they shared all of that on night number one? Meanwhile, in, in my men's group, I'm thinking to myself, i hoping, hoping here after three months, I would learn maybe if these guys prefer diet or regular soda. That's like the depth we're getting into. All men seem to have it branded into their brains from birth to conceal at all costs. Cover it up. Conceal it. Don't let your guard down. You can do this on your own. You don't need anybody else. You got this. But, but here's the problem. And I'm just going to kind of ask all of us right now to collectively take a deep breath. Not just the men, because even though I'm kind of picking on the dudes right now, this is actually true of every single one of us. Just take a deep breath right now and be honest with you. You don't have to admit this to anybody else. This is just between you and, well, you. You ready for this? You don't got this, do you? That, that actually when you think about it, pretty much every occasion where you've told yourself, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and figure this out on my own, you've actually ended up letting yourself down, right? Right? There's no reach deeper, no I got this, no I'll figure it out eventually, eventually as it turns out never comes. And I promise right now I'm not picking on all of you, this is just as true for me, I'm not up here on, on my preacher tower looking down on all of you and despite the fact that we never got this, I mean we literally can't point to a single occasion in our entire lives where we've ended up getting this through our own abilities, it doesn't stop us from deceiving ourselves the next time around, does it? I say it this way all the time. We are capable of endless self-deception. So, so what do we do with this? I mean, is this really what, what God, our creator, intended? An endless cycle of not only letting the people around us down, but almost incessantly, compulsively letting ourselves down? Constantly being undone by our own decisions, our own bad choices, our own sin, temptation regularly besting us? Surely not. As is so often the case, and as we've reminded ourselves repeatedly throughout this series, Jesus knows you don't got this. Stellar English, by the way, happening this morning. You want to know how I know this? How you actually know this? Because Jesus died for you. 
He died for me. He died for all of us. In fact, it's best said this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of our absolute inability to get it together on our own, while we were still sinning, still lying to ourselves that eventually we'll get it together, Jesus waved that white flag for us and then offered his life for your sin. And not because it was his idea of a good time, but because that is how sure he was of our inability to get this. No eventually, no, I'll just figure it out. He knew that if there was any figuring it out that was going to happen, well, he was going to have to do something. So Jesus takes this massive step towards us by offering his life for our sin. It is a completely free gift that he offers. We did nothing to deserve it. Nothing he, we did compelled him to do so. He did it because he loves you that much and so longs to be close to you. But, but just so it's clear, I'm not making any false promises this morning. Just because you accept this free gift of salvation, which you receive upon putting your faith, your belief, your trust in Jesus, doesn't mean all the temptation and the propensity to self-destruct gets whisked away, right? It doesn't mean that we suddenly stop deceiving ourselves. In fact, this is a real problem within some Christian circles and why Christianity has actually been so harmful to certain people. Because some of you, you were led to believe that you say this sinner's prayer and suddenly life is all roses and rainbows, but then you wake up the next morning and you're still addicted to porn, you're still tempted to overeat, your fuse is still just as short as it was before you came walking into the church. So Christianity didn't work, or so you were led to believe. And if that would describe any of your experiences, I just want to genuinely apologize. I am sorry. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't teach that. He didn't even allude to that. He actually kind of goes out of his way to promise us that all of that would still be there. Our flesh waiting to devour ourselves and the people around us. But in his infinite kindness, and we spent an entire Sunday two weeks ago talking about this, he offers us a community of people called the church. His means for, yes, taking his message to the ends of the earth, but also a community of people who are called to encourage one another, hold each other accountable, lift you up when you're down, be vulnerable with one another, be open, be truly honest. And, and this morning, I can think of no habit more effective in putting our sin, our self-deception, our self-destruction to death and simultaneously, no habit more resisted by the flesh, what comes natural than confession. Sobering, raw honesty. And admittedly, it's one thing to be honest with ourselves, certainly important and a difficult virtue to steward, but it's something entirely different to be honest with others. As we mentioned at the top, our flesh screams for concealment. Keep it to yourself. Figure it out on your own. You got this. But Jesus teaches something drastically different. And therefore, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live and practice something radically different. Despite everything inside of us screaming, conceal! 
Jesus comes along and says, no. Not if you want to thrive in this world. But more importantly, if you want to follow me and thus step into the better that I am inviting every single one of you into, it's time for you to live a life that is marked by admission, confession, pulling out what has been hiding, what has been festering, what has been growing in the dark out into the light where it will face its impending death. Now, in my humble opinion, I think the greatest teaching on this particular topic, this way of the follower of Jesus, comes from a letter that was actually penned by Jesus' brother, a guy who went by the name of James. Now, for some of you, that's news to you that Jesus had a brother. He did, and this guy, James, would actually become a leader for the early first century Christian church. Now, now his writings, for at least for me, they, they hold a place of particular significance in my heart because I always think back to the question, what in the heck would my brother have to do to convince me that he was the son of God? Right? Like, I have two brothers, and I just think very practically, what would Landon, what would Trevor have to do to convince me that he was the son of God, Right? I mean, that had to have been Jesus' toughest audience. So if James, the brother of Jesus, was convinced, I'm just telling you, I just became a little bit more convinced. Now, now a little bit of context here as we dive into this particular passage of his letter uh, in James chapter 5. In this passage, he is teaching on the power and the effectiveness of prayer. That, that's the entire backdrop. And then he offers us just a couple of practical examples. He says there in the fifth chapter, verse 13 is where we'll pick up. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? It's like, yeah, we can relate to that. You should pray. Now, now this is one of those areas where we find almost universal agreement, right? Even non-believing people, people who are pretty anti-Jesus, when the going gets tough, when somebody gets that diagnosis, when it seems like this impending thing is right in front of us, even those people tend to throw up a quick prayer just in case. So, so prayer, when, when life gets tough, it's like, okay, check. We're tracking with you, James. He says, okay, are, are any of you happy? You, you should sing praises. Now, we tend to follow this recommendation as well. It's what we actually do around here every single Sunday. We sing praises, we sing songs, what we commonly refer to as worship because of who God is and what Jesus has done for every single one of us, whether you have chosen to embrace that or not. It's like, okay, James, we got it. Brother of Jesus, we are crushing it. And then he continues. He says, hey, are, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. So such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. God is faithful. He will forgive you. And, and now we kind of get to this point where we're like, all right, James, you're, you're kind of starting to lose us oils, and it's like, that's another teaching for another day, but that just kind of feels a little bit weird. Is this like an essential oils thing, like mid-level marketing and like pyramid scheme type deal? Like, what, what are you talking about there? But, but come on, let's just be honest. If you were really sick, and, and it seemed like your diagnosis had kind of stumped the physicians, and it just was, again, like your impending death seemed to be right around the corner, you would actually probably be open to this, right? I mean, you're desperate, you want to be made well, so sure, your pastor, me, I want to come over and slap some oil on your forehead and pray for you. You're like, okay, sure, I, I'm down. I'll try anything at this point. James continues. He says, confess your sins to each other. And it's like, oh, James, are you sure? 
Like, I'll be honest with me, but you, you want me to say things out loud to other people? You, you actually want us to admit this stuff to other people? James, that, that would be embarrassing. I, I would be so exposed. James, I, I gotta be honest with you, that, that just feels dangerous. And, and practically speaking, I don't even know if it's possible because James, maybe it's like different rules for you because like you're, you're the brother of Jesus, but everything inside of me says to keep it buried, conceal it. I, I think I'd rather just figure it out on, on my own. And, and, and I think James, who learned and more importantly observed all of this from Jesus himself, would lean into our reservations. He'd lean into those hesitations and he would politely, lovingly ask us, where has that gotten you? Seriously, like, and this is an important question to answer both for the Christian and the non-Christian alike because you certainly don't need to be a Christian for this to ring true. Where has concealing gotten you? Where has that you got this mentality gotten you? Aren't you sort of deceiving yourself when you consider you've literally never gotten this on your own? That, that every single time you've tried to figure it out on your own abilities, it ends up falling short? You, you not only let you down, but probably some other people along the way? James is telling us, he's pointing us, he's inviting us into the way out of this conundrum. It is extraordinarily simple, but yet incredibly difficult to actually practice because it flies so contrary to our flesh and the way of this world. James like, don't overthink it. Confess. Open up your mouth and share what has been growing in the dark and pull it into the light. Confess those temptations, those sins to other people. That's it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he frames it this way. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It, it withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Sin wants, it longs to remain unknown. It shuns the light in the darkness, and I love this language, in the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. And, and again, this, this isn't just a Christian thing. This is an everyone thing. Your own life has shown you that this is true. This is, in fact, why programs like Alcoholics Anonymous are so effective because what was once growing in the darkness of the unexpressed has become, hi, my name is Trevor and I'm an alcoholic. Last night I got drunk. John Mark Comer in his recent book, Live No Lies, that I've referenced a handful of times throughout the series, would highly, highly encourage you to pick it up. He, he puts it this way. He says, a raw power and genuine freedom come when you name your sin in the presence of loving community. Just the act of naming your sin out loud to people you know and trust has the power to break chains. Many of you have experienced just this. But, but there's an underlying theme that Mr. Comer is alluding to that's 
also not so coincidentally found in the roots of Alcoholics Anonymous. Back to James. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So yes, confess to each other. It is a discipline undeniably rooted in Scripture. But more importantly and more effectively, confess amongst a group of people who are also pursuing Jesus. And mission confession is a discipline that was designed to occur within the church amongst followers of Jesus. Returning to where we started this conversation, Left to our flesh, left to the way of this world, we will forever lie, we will forever deceive ourselves into thinking, you don't need anybody else. Conceal it. You can do this on your own. You got this. And and remarkably, there actually is a hint of truth in here. You don't need anybody else. You need the local church. You need a specific group of people who are also moving towards Jesus. People who are also hell-bent on putting their flesh to death and pursuing Jesus at all costs. I need people who are going to encourage me when my flesh has won yet again. Reminding me that the battle has actually already been won when Jesus defeated death and rose from the grave. You need others who will lovingly encourage you, challenge you, and who will not allow you to tolerate that which will ultimately spell your demise. You need people who can see what you can't, won't, or don't see. You need people, as James writes about here, who are going to pray with you and for you. People who are going to then get into your life and ask you those tough questions. You need people who know that God responds and is moved by prayer. We need a community of people, the church, who are no longer content cooperating with their sin, but are instead waging war against it. And like it or not, that war is one or lost on the choice between confession and concealment. Now, something really beautiful happened just this last week. Uh, it was Tuesday morning. I was meeting with that men's group that I referenced earlier. And uh, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. I wasn't even thinking about what I was going to be sitting down to write just a couple hours later. I knew in- intuitively that, yeah, this was the topic for this week, but I'm just telling you, I didn't put it together till later in the day. And I was like, oh my gosh, like God, like look at how you orchestrated that. That is so beautiful. I go to you know, meet with this group. We're actually li- uh, reading through that book that I just referenced, Live No Lies, and there's just this tiny little section about confession. And we're talking about that, and I was just feeling this prompting from the Holy Spirit that I was like, you know what, I, I think I just need to just ask these guys and kind of put myself on blast and just say, hey, like, maybe we should actually practice this, not just talk about it, but actually like, do what this writer is talking about here, do what, what James is talking about here. And there at 6.30 in the morning at a Panera Bread in Fenton, I sat in a circle of guys who one by one just got vulnerable. It exposed and got into the light some of their deepest held secrets. Things that they were ready to admit we, we can't master on our own. And I'm telling you that morning, chains of slavery to addiction, pornography, Alcohol, drugs, 
anger, impatience, self-deceit will be broken because a group of dudes collectively decided, screw concealment, where has that gotten me? I don't got this. It is time to declare war against my flesh and actually follow Jesus. Now, very practically speaking, as I've attempted to foster this discipline in my life and as I have observed in the lives of people far wiser than me, it would seem that healthy admission, healthy confession, community, and relationship always shares these two precursors. Number one, the sin or temptation must specifically be named. Gone are the days of speaking in vague terms that kind of just leaves other people wondering, like, what in the heck is that person talking about? Less like, hey, every once in a while, it just seems like maybe the evil one just kind of tries to trip me up just by tempting me maybe in the area of, like, sexual stuff, and, you know, I end up falling maybe into a little bit of temptation, but it's not that big of a deal. And just uh, More, last night, you were aimlessly scrolling through Instagram, you eventually landed on the Discover page, as is often the case. You start looking at half-nude women, which eventually led you to a pornography site where you ended up watching it for about an hour. Call it out. Name it. Be specific. Drag every detail into the light. No more vague terms. No, here's my sin on a silver platter, and I'm ready to kill it. Number two, the magical moment <laughs> is not coming. I, I promise you, at least this hasn't been the case for me, a moment isn't coming where it will not feel terrifying. The moment isn't coming where it will feel natural to begin practicing this. Every confessing relationship that I have ever been a part of, it happened because somebody just eventually decided, I've had enough, and they went for it. Fortunately for me, this was modeled really, really well for me in college at a time in my life where I honestly was not pursuing Jesus at all. Uh, There's this guy that I just had tremendous respect for that happened to live on the same floor of the dorm that I lived on and randomly on multiple times a week, he would just kind of walk into my room and just start talking with me as I was like plugging away working on my computer. And, and after doing this for a couple of months, he just started to share things with me that I was like, I didn't know this was this type of relationship. He, he opened up about his addiction to pornography and how he had stumbled into that in the past and just kind of looked right at me. He's like, hey, by the way, w- will you help hold me accountable in that area? I looked back at him and I was like, uh, yeah, I, I guess. But, but what I realized and what I sensed with the hindsight I've looked back upon, that gave me permission to let my guard down, to eventually become honest with him. So, see, the evil one's going to tell you this, this is going to be so embarrassing. They are going to disown you, conceal it wrong. Most of the time, the complete opposite happens. You, you will experience greater intimacy and more connectedness than you have ever seen in a relationship previously. And, and so my encouragement to you would be stop waiting for that right moment, that magical moment. If the other person loves Jesus and loves you, and you've seen evidence of both of those things, begin to move your lips and confess. And and so what I'd like everybody to do who's watching right now is I'm confident that if if you're listening, the Holy Spirit is speaking something to you right now. I just want to invite you, wherever you're watching from right now, pull out a journal, pull out your phone, and and just write down, take the time to, to actually write down, type it out, what God is speaking to you about. What what perhaps this week 
are you supposed to confess to somebody else? And just to make sure that this is really, really clear, this doesn't mean that you step on stage next Sunday and confess this to the entire church, that this is intimacy, that this is one or two or maybe just a couple of people that, again, you trust, you know they love Jesus, you know they love you, and you're confessing that to them. You know that these are gonna be people that are gonna help to hold you accountable in the future. Take it a step further. Write down who you will confess that to this week. Now, I wanna speak to this really, really quick. For, for some of you, you're going, I don't have a person like that in my life. And I'm telling you, that is the importance of getting plugged in into this faith community. Join a team. Get into a group. Make, make this a priority to be here every single week so you can actually begin to foster those type of relationships so, so that you have an outlet, you have an opportunity to confess that to other people. But let me pray for us. I'm confident this morning that chains are going to be broken because of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to each of us, because of a spiritual discipline that Jesus himself offers us to help break these chains. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is for us, not against us. We thank you that you take no level of satisfaction whatsoever, that every single one of us to some level live in bondage to the things of this world. I thank you that you are the God who breaks those chains. The things that have plagued us in the past don't need to be the things that define us in the future. that you came for us, that you gave your life for us so that we might have the opportunity to get that right standing back with you. We thank you, God, that the battle has already been won. Death has been defeated. You live, you conquered the grave, and you did that for us because you love us so, so much. It's in your name we pray, amen.